Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim. Innal alhamdulillah. As-salatu wa salam ala rasulillah. As-salamu alaykum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuhu. Dear brothers and sisters, the next lecture uh, due to begin now is entitled The Muslim Citizen as a Member of Society. And uh, unfortunately the slide on your viewing there has a mistake in terms of the speaker. Originally it was actually going to be Abdullah Hakim Quick who unfortunately could not make it to the uh, conference. And then Brother Muhammad uh, Sadiq Sedun was going to stand in. But alhamdulillah, we have even better now. We have Sheikh Jaffa Idris from the United States, who uh, received quite short notice to give this talk. So inshallah, we pray that uh, we're able to benefit from it. Uh, a brief word is that uh, throughout the talk, brothers tend to congregate near the doors when there is a marquee, it's a new feature down the other end, and I'm told it's very cool. So it's very cool, that's the temptation to go in there. And uh, it's empty at the moment. There's more fans than there are here. There's a video, you can see the sheikh, or the shaykh. So please, if you arrive late, please do go down next time to the marquee, which is on the lawn over there. It's very cool there, lots of fans, inshallah. So I now hand over to Sheikh Jaffa Adris. Jazakumullah khairan. Bismillahirrahmanirrahim. إن الحمد لله نحمده ونستعينه ونستغفره ونعوذ بالله من شرور أنفسنا وسيئات أعمالنا من يهد الله فهو المهتد ومن يضلل فلن تجد له وليا مرشدا ثم ما بعد I have been asked to give my response to the following questions How do we see ourselves as part of the West? Are Muslims perceived as a threat in the West? Is that a good thing? British, Muslim, or both? Where lies our allegiance? Which do we obey? Law or religions? Is there a dilemma? How can we contribute to the society by exercising our legal, civil, and Islamic rights? I shall give my response, I think, to only some of those questions. And uh, these are very great, important, and also very sensitive issues. So my response, I must warn you, is that of a fallible human being with limited knowledge. So I want you to look carefully into my words and accept only those of them that you think are supported by evidence, whether it is evidence from the Quran and the Sunnah or whether it is uh, rational evidence. Remember the words, and this applies to me and to all other scholars, whether they are here or um, anywhere. The, for, the important words of Imam Malik, كُلٌّ يُؤْخَذُ مِنْ قَوْلِهِ وَيُتْرَكُ he used to say, from everyone we take, sometimes we reject, except the man of that grave. And he would point to the grave of Prophet Muhammad It is only from Prophet Muhammad that we take everything. Not from any other uh, human beings, human being. Not even the greatest of the companions of the Prophet, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. 
the most important question of this, in my opinion, is where lies our allegiance? There should be no vacillation about the fact that our, our absolute allegiance is to Allah, God, the creator of the universe. Allah alone knows better what is good for us and he will tell us to do and what is bad for us and he will tell us not to do. So allegiance to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala entails that we believe that every statement in the Quran and the Sunnah is true and every command is just. Now, if you are, uh, if you have this kind of allegiance, then the normal thing for you is to live in a society wherein uh, the people are Muslims, but not only Muslims, that they adhere by the teachings of Islam in uh, their political, economic, educational, and so all their life is organized uh, or shaped according to the teachings of, uh, of Islam. That is the normal thing for a person to do. Uh, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, why is that so? Why should, oh, why should our economic, social, political, educational uh, institutes and organizations be uh, according to teachings of the Quran and the Sunnah. Uh, the, 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 the secret or the wisdom, I think, is that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala who created us knows that there is a relationship between our internal state of the heart and our external behavior. Well, whether it is our personal behavior or the behavior of other individuals with whom we live. Allah knows that there is a relationship between these two. Uh, each one affects or has an influence on the other. And therefore, uh, in spite of the fact that the essence of Islam is in the heart, it is the belief, uh, iman, in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, that iman must be surrounded by an, an external atmosphere which will um, help it. Uh, to, to increase, to be, uh, to, and, and will, 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 and, and will protect it. External, external life must be an expression of uh, internal belief, but it, it must also be a protection of that uh, of that belief. This is the reason why um, uh, our Islam will never be complete if our life. Uh, is not, I mean, our Islam as, 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 uh, as a society will not be complete if our life is not uh, organized in accordance with the teachings of the Quran and the Sunnah. So this is the normal thing for a person. And as uh, the brother told you yesterday, all the ulama, there is some kind of consensus among the ulama that a Muslim should not voluntarily uh, go and live permanently uh, in a non-Muslim society. But what do we do if for good or bad reasons we found ourselves in this situation? 
What do we do? And uh, how can we make the best of this abnormal situation? Uh, this, in my view, is the, uh, is the most important question. And all the questions are perhaps just aspects of, of that major question. Now, what do we do? The first question, and this matter has caused some fitna in many, uh, to many Muslims living as minorities in non-Islamic countries, the, the first question is, do we or should we, if we are a minority, should we live in peace in that land where we are a minority? Or should we um, declare jihad and, uh, and war and actually engage in it? That is the, the first question. And the answer, uh, before we give the answer to that question, I would uh, like to start by briefly stating a very important uh, Islamic principle. And that is, while we as Muslims, it is incumbent on us to do our best uh, to, to apply the particular orders and prohibitions uh, of Islam, we are also advised not to lose sight of the many main principles under which those particular uh, orders and prohibitions are subsumed and in the light of which they must be explained. So Islam is not just a collection of do's and not do's. It is not. There are also uh, principles, major principles, which govern uh, those particular orders and, and, and prohibitions. Uh, the overarching uh, principle is uh, what is called in Islam maslaha, what is good for the people in this world and in the life to come. That is the overarching principle, that um, everything in the Quran and the Sunnah, the whole Sharia was sent down uh, to help people to realize their maslaha, what is good for them in this world and in the world to come. But uh, the maslaha, I mean, the definition of the maslaha is not uh, left to our whims and our, uh, our estimations. Uh, there are guidelines also in the Quran about what maslaha is and what mafsada is. Why, uh, why, are these, uh, why is this uh, main principle important? It is important because sometimes you find yourself in a situation where if you apply one of those particular um, uh, orders or prohibitions, instead of the result being good, it can be bad. So what do you do? Here, you go to the main principle and, 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 and say to yourself, uh, which is good in this situation? To apply the particular order and prohibition or not to apply it or to do something else? 
This is a very important in rational ingredient of our deen, which many, even good-willing Muslims, forget. They think of Islam as something that uh, has no regard, that does not pay any attention to the consequences of actions, which is completely wrong. For example, uh, uh, and this is an example that uh, people usually give very, uh, uh, very because um, the answer to the question here is very obvious. Suppose that um, you see someone being chased by someone uh, who is intent on killing him, and he comes and hides here. Then the man comes and says, where is he? What would you say? You say, I'm a I'm a good Muslim, I always tell the truth, here is he. You don't say that. Huh? Why don't you tell the truth in this case? Because the consequences will be worse <laughs> than telling a lie. In this case, it will be in fact your duty not to tell the truth. And this applies also to many other um, uh, situations, which, inshallah, we will uh, uh, mention. It is in the light of this principle that you can find explanations to the different orders and prohibitions in the Quran that were given to the uh, Muslims at the time of the Prophet orders and prohibitions which might yeah, seem to be contradictory. Sometimes you read in, in one verse, uh, and argue with them in the best of ways. You find another verse, it says, kill them where you find, wherever you find them. And uh, in one verse, it says, withhold your hands, just pray. In another verse, it says, "Qatiluhum." Fight. What? What is happening here? What is happening is that these verses were uh, were sent down to deal with different situations. In one situation, this was the case. In another situation, that was the case. And it is our duty, uh, that's what, that, that, that is why fiqh, fiqh is not just to, to, to be um, uh, knowledgeable about um, certain verses and, and a hadith of the Prophet This is not fiqh. Uh, anyone can be a faqih if that was fiqh. Anyone can grab any book and say, yes, it is in Al-Bukhari, and the Prophet says so and so and so. But uh, uh, fiqh, is to have a comprehensive uh, view of the matter and to know where to put um, each hadith or each verse of, uh, of the Quran. Uh, now, uh, the, the, uh, I start by giving an example which is very pertinent to our situation here.
in Mecca, when, when the Muslims were in Mecca, they were told not to fight their enemies. Why? Ibn Kathir says, because the percentage of Muslims was less than one to 10. And he got this explanation from a verse that was revealed in Medina. Because Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala uh, made jihad obligatory on Muslims, uh, yani, not ob obligatory on Muslims, when, even when their number is half of, that, of the number of the kafirs. If the numbers of the kafirs are 10 to 1, still you can make jihad. But if it is more than that, don't make jihad. Don't fight them. Why? Again, because of that important principle. If the Muslims who were only 300 in Mecca started to fight with the kafirs, they would have exterminated them. But the Maslaha says that to preserve the lives of, 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 of Muslims is very important. So in this situation, you sacrifice the principle of jihad for the sake of um, uh, <coughs> preserving the lives uh, of the Muslims. Now, when the Muslims migrated from that land and had their own land, another command came. Or it was not, in fact, a command. Just Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala permitted them to fight. They were oppressed. They were unjustly driven from their land. So Allah now said, now that, I mean the meaning of the verse that, now you have your own land, now that you are independent, you may fight. Later on, the Quran said, now you must fight. So what applies to people like you living in, in, as minorities is the case of Mecca. Never, never use a gun. If you are here, live in peaceful coexistence with the society in which you are. Your duty here is just to make da'wah and be patient. And if you can't do that, then migrate. Don't cause trouble for yourself and for other Muslims. Your duty is not to fight. And, 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 and if the Muslims, who are better Muslims than ourselves, and who were more courageous than we, uh, than, than we are, and who were more ready to make sacrifices than we are, if those were told to then the same applies to us because we are in the same situation as they are. I mean, you are, I am not. I'm, uh, I'm <laughs> I come from the, the Sudan, which, which is also having its own trouble. Uh, now, <clears throat> some people say, and, and this also has caused uh, some fitna, uh, uh, now, uh, I mean, according to what I told you now, that war is not left to be left to individuals. It is a collective uh, matter. 
because war affects everyone. Uh, you can't say that I am going to make jihad and I don't care what happened to, to, to other Muslims. Something terrible might happen to them, and you will be responsible for that. And that's why uh, Ibn Taymiyyah said that the matter on which the, uh, the Khulafa used to consult uh, uh, people on more than any other matter uh, was that of war, because war affects um, everyone, and everyone has the right um, as much, I mean, to be consulted as much as, uh, as possible. Now, some uh, people uh, in our days uh, said, no, there are exceptions to this rule, that even individuals can declare and wage war. And they give the example of Abu Basir. And perhaps in the questions and answers, we give you the, the uh, for those of you who don't know the story of Abu Basir, uh, give the details of it. But uh, Abu Basir, <coughs> they say that Abu Basir declared war on the, on the Meccans. This is true. He stood in the way, in the way of their caravans that go from Mecca to, uh, to, to uh, Sham, to Syria, and so on, and he started attacking them. Then some other Muslims joined him. That was a decision made by one person. So they say that oh, there are exceptions to the rule that uh, war is a collective matter. Uh, but this is a misguided understanding of the case of Abu Basir. You know, Abu Basir was, um, uh, was, was a Qurayshi. Just after the Prophet ﷺ concluded with Quraysh the sulh, the agreement of Hudaybiyah, uh, he was brought, uh, 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 perhaps just before that, but it came to the knowledge of the Prophet ﷺ after he had concluded the, 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 the agreement. And in that agreement, as you were told yesterday, the Prophet agreed that if anyone accepts in anyone from the Quraysh accepts Islam and migrate to Medina, the Prophet ﷺ should return him. Now, Abu Basir was the first case, and it was a real trial for Muslims. He accepted Islam, and, uh, and, and he uh, came to the Prophet and taught him, but the Quraysh uh, insisted that uh, the, the treaty has been concluded, and this man cannot go with you. Later on, he managed to flee from them and come to Medina. But the Prophet ﷺ, because he honors you know, his, his, his agreements, he told him that uh, he must go back. So two persons from Mecca came to take him back. So the Prophet told him that he has to go back with them. On the way to Mecca, uh, <laughs> he tricked one of them and killed him. And the other fled, came back to Medina and took refuge in the masjid of the Prophet Then Abu Basir came and said to the Prophet something to, to the effect that you did your best. Um, so let me, and the Prophet said, no, you have to go back. 
So he didn't go back. He started uh, attacking the uh, uh, Quraysh. So Abu Basir was not officially or formally a member of the Muslim society. He was not formally under the jurisdiction of uh, the government of Medina. He was as a Meccan citizen. And these, the, the Meccans uh, deprived him of his right as a human being to leave that country and go to the country of his choice. So that is why he waged war against them. Now, some people who don't accept this kind of explanation will tell you, yes, but it was the Prophet ﷺ who hinted to him to, to make this kind of war. This is true. But then if this is so, still that decision was not the decision of just one individual. If it was the Prophet ﷺ who gave him permission, then we can still say that decision was not his decision, but the decision of the leader of the uh, Muslim community. Now, another reason for, or a third reason, for war not being left to individuals. I mean, imagine the havoc that would ensue if, 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 the, if this was all the Muslim community in Britain, and that we gave every small group of you to wage war, to declare war, to make an, an agreement with the Kafirs. What would happen? The third or fourth reason is that war in Islam is not an end in itself. It is not an end in itself. And we don't wage war against people because of their beliefs. This is something that is very important. We don't wage war on them because they are Catholics, but because of some injustice that they do. Injustice to individuals or to, uh, to, 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 or to the religion. And the ulama say, had uh, the reason being their kafirs, we wouldn't have accepted this year from them because they, they are still kafirs, even if they um, pay the jizya. Uh, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala wouldn't have allowed us to uh, marry uh, their women because they are kafirs. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala wouldn't have allowed us to make agreements with them because they are still kafirs. So war is not an end uh, in itself. Uh, the end is to invite people to the way of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, make them accept Islam, and save them from hellfire. And that is why the Prophet sallallahu alayhi said, That if Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala causes just one person to be guided through you, then that uh, is better for you than the best of uh, worldly wealth. There is a good evidence for this in the sulh, the agreement of Hudaybiyah. In the agreement of Hudaybiyah. Uh, you remember what is called sulh al-Hudaybiyah? 
that uh, the Prophet made an agreement with the Kuffar, and, uh, and, uh, a peace agreement, or something like a truce. And then on the, way, on the Muslims' uh, way back to Medina, Surah Al-Fatih was revealed to the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Allah Subhanahu Wa Ta'ala called that agreement a great victory. And many Muslims were astonished. How can just an agreement be a great victory? One of our great scholars explained this. Az-Zuhri. Az-Zuhri said, uh, I read it in Arabic for the sake of the Arabic-speaking brothers, then I translate it. فَمَا فُتِحَ فِي الْإِسْلَامِ فَتْحٌ قَبْلَهُ كَانَ أَعْظَمَ مِنْ فَتْحِ الْحُدَيْبِيَةِ إِنَّمَا كَانَ الْقِتَالُ حَيْثُ الْتَقَى النَّاسِ وَلَمَّا كَانَتِ الْهُدْنَةِ وَوَضَعَتِ الْحَرْبُ أَوْزَارَهَا وَأَمِنَ النَّاسِ كَلَّمَ بَعْضُهُمْ بَعْضًا وَالْتَقَوْا وَتَفَاوَضُوا وَلَمْ يُكَلَّمْ أَحَدٌ فِي الْإِسْلَامِ يَعْقِلُ شَيْئًا فِي تِلْكَ الْمُدَّةِ إِلَّا دَخَلَ فِيهِ وَلَقَدْ دَخَلَ فِي تَيْنِكَ السَّنَتَيْنِ مِثْلُ مَنْ كَانَ فِي الْإِسْلَامِ مِثْلُ مَنْ كَانَ فِي الْإِسْلَامِ قَبْلَ ذَلِكَ أَوْ أَكْثَرَ He says, Az-Zuhri, there was no victory in the history of Islam before Sulh uh, there was no uh, uh, there was no victory uh, before it that was greater than it. There used to be only fighting where people met Catholics and Muslims. When the truce was agreed on, and the war stopped, and people lived in peace, they started to talk to each other. They started to meet and negotiate. No thinking person who was told about Islam in that period but embraced it. The number of people who embraced Islam in those two years of peace was equal to or even greater than that of those who accepted Islam before. And Ibn Hajar, the great uh, commentator on uh, al-Bukhari, concurs, and he says, um, I just translate, because of the peace that took place among them, they mixed with each other without any inhibitions. The Muslims uh, made the, the, um, uh, the idolaters listen to the Quran and debated with them about Islam. and um, uh, debated with them about Islam openly and without any fear. Before that, they used to talk to them only secretly. Ibn Hisham also agrees, and he gives us some numbers. He says that the evidence for this, for Sulh al-Hudaybiyah being a great victory, is that the Prophet uh, when the Prophet ﷺ went to, uh, to, 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 to make the agreement of Sulh al-Hudaybiyah, um, uh, his force was only 1,400 Muslims. But after those two years, he went to Mecca 
with a force of 10,000. So we get from the, uh, the words of these uh, uh, scholars that Sulh al-Hudaybiyah was called victory um, uh, because, of, uh, because of the great number uh, that uh, embraced Islam uh, after it. Now, having decided to live in peace in a country like Britain, we now move to our third question. British or Muslim or both? The obvious answer is both. Uh, <clears throat> Uh, belonging to a particular nationality is like having a certain color. The nationality by itself or the color by itself does not impose on a person any kinds of beliefs. A black person can be Muslim or Christian, a white person can be Muslim or Christian, and, and so um, if people can be Indian, Indonesian, and Arab uh, Muslims, why can't they be British Muslims also? So. In principle, there is no problem. But uh, sometimes people identify their nationality with certain values, just because those values have been prevalent for some time. And here comes the problem. They think that if you don't agree with them, or, those, or, or if your behavior um, is not in accordance with those values, then they think then that you are not really Arab, you are not really Pakistani, you are not really a British or, 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 or French or so. Uh, and that was uh, the attitude of the Arabs the, towards the Prophet ﷺ. Everyone knew that the Prophet ﷺ was an Arab. Uh, but when the Prophet ﷺ called them to Islam, they, they thought that he was doing something that is against everything that they knew or they inherited uh, from their forefathers. And the, more, the thing that they found most strange and they objected to is that he called them to worship only one God while they were worshiping so many uh, gods. It's a strange thing that... Um, he claims that only one, uh, uh, one uh, ilah is to be worshipped. Uh, but that accusation did not change the fact that Muhammad وسلم, was an Arab and it did not make him relinquish his nationality. And the same applies to you. Uh, in fact, uh, uh, in, 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 uh, in uh, democratic uh, liberal uh, societies, this should, be, uh, uh, this should be easier because these people pride themselves of being pluralistic societies. And in a pluralistic society, all kinds of beliefs and values and colors and, 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 and political um, political. Uh, beliefs uh, are, are, are supposed to be accepted. 
but people do not live, neither we nor them, uh, people, uh, and sadly, do not live up to what they profess. So you find in the United States or in many uh, European countries that while people say, claim that their society is pluralistic, they say uh, uh, that you must adhere to American values or French values or uh, British values. Uh, this, is, this is a violation of the principle of pluralism because pluralism should not apply just to matters of color. Uh, it should apply also to, uh, uh, to values. And, 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 and so we should, I think, uh, <coughs> insist on the fact that we as uh, British people have the right uh, to have different beliefs and different uh, values, and that is what is meant by a pluralistic uh, society. Now, the, uh, the, the fourth or the fifth question is, and again, this one is a very sensitive one. Should we take part in the governing institutions of the society in which we live? Should we do that? The, and by governing institutions, I mean uh, things like uh, parliament, um, uh, the local, uh, what do you call them here? Municip municipalities, or what do you call them? Hmm? Yeah? Councils, and, and even um, educational boards and, 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 and things like that. Uh, should we take part in those or not? <clears throat> we must remember that it is through these institutions that people are governed and that it is these institutions which are very, very effective in making a change in society. So if we went, want to make a change in society, should we use those means among other things or shouldn't we? Some would say, how can, you, uh, how can we take part in institutions which do not even in principle abide by God's law? Uh, wouldn't that be a violation of the principle of, uh, of, of, uh, of hakimiyyah? Now, it would have definitely been so if, we, if, it was, uh, if it were we who enacted those laws or laid down those principles. This, in this case, it would have been um, a violation of the principle of hakimiyyah. Uh, so the question is not about willfully enacting an Islamic laws. It is about trying to use those institutions to enact laws or draw policies that are Islamic or as near to Islam as possible. Um, if we can do so, then the principle of maslaha that we started with um, uh, allows us to do so. In fact, it might make it obligatory on us to do so. I find um, objections to this strange when it comes from people who chose to live in a country like this. I find it strange because they chose to be <laughs> governed by those institutions, by they, but they, ref they refused 
to govern by those institutions. I, I, I find this really very strange. If um, someone uh, says no, I, I, I will have nothing to do with a society like this, I'm, and I'm going to migrate, and then I can understand his, uh, his position. But, to, but uh, to, to, to accept living in a society like this and be governed uh, by its laws and refuse to take any part in making those laws better or changing them also, uh, uh, I don't understand this. Uh, can we be sure that um, if we take part in these institutions that we will always do what is uh, proper and what is right from an Islamic point of view? No. But that is not the issue. The issue is whether, according to the principle of Maslaha, we can make things better or at least lessen the evil. If we can do any one of these, then it will be even obligatory on us to take part on the, in those uh, institutions. If we cannot make a change at all, then we do it. Um, <clears throat> And one of our uh, colleagues here reminded me, when I told him about this, to uh, remind you that uh, the, the decision to get involved should not be left to individuals. Because if you get involved, your intention should be to serve the Muslim community. And if you want to serve them, you should uh, consult them, and the decision should be a collective decision. And because it involves uh, some very important religious matters, uh, ulama have also to be consulted. It is not enough, uh, and it is important, but not enough uh, to consult people who have worldly, uh, worldly knowledge and experience. It is very important, but it is not, uh, 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 it is not enough. Uh, there is a good reason also for getting involved. As the brother was telling you yesterday, that it is our duty to increase the good and lessen the evil wherever we are. Because this is the main goal of, 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 of Islam. So if we increase the good, even in, 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 in a non-Islamic society, and even if we do not succeed in making that society Islamic, just by increasing the good in it, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will reward us. So this is something that is good in itself. It is a form of ibadah for which Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will reward you. Uh, for another reason also, the better a society is, the nearer uh, it is to Islam and the more inclined, therefore, to accept Islam. Also, if people come to see the merits of the Islamic solutions to the ills of society, or the wisdom of our suggestions uh, to better society, or come to appreciate some of the good work that we do for them, that might make them more appreciative of, Islamic teach of the Islamic teachings. 
Uh, it is also in our own interest, especially the interest of our children, to live in as good a society uh, as possible. I finish, I end by reminding you of something uh, which also uh, was told, uh, about which you were told yesterday. And because it is very important, I would like also uh, to emphasize it. It is very important to adhere to moral principles, the great moral principles of being truthful, of being honest, <coughs> uh, truthful and honest and just are, according to Islam, absolute principles. They do not apply only uh, when you are dealing with Muslims. They apply to all people irrespective of their beliefs. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said to the Muslims, this was again on the occasion of the Sulh al-Hudaydiyah, let not the, your hatred of a people make you make you unjust. Don't let your hatred for a people who uh, prevented you from going to the sacred mosque, al-Masjid al-Haram, let that, that not uh, make you commit acts of aggression. Ibn Kathir commented on this by saying that this means that justice is incumbent on everyone, with everyone, in every situation. This kind of moral behavior is something that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala loves, and the opposite of which he hates, even when you deal with non-Muslims. In Surah At-Tawbah, uh, you read, uh, uh, the, the first of uh, the first verses of Surah At-Tawbah, uh, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala told the Muslims to, to, to honor their agreements with the kafirs, and then he said, Allah loves the muttaqeen, and the muttaqeen in this context are those who honor their agreements with uh, non-Muslims. Okay. Okay, we still have uh, plenty of time left, inshallah, for some questions. And uh, the papers are supposed to be circulated, but since they're not, we take questions from the floor. And uh, sisters uh, and those who haven't got time to ask a question, please do write your questions down and they will be submitted for a separate se uh, questions and answers session. So uh, we'll take some questions from the floor, starting with the brother here. And I'll repeat the question, inshallah. So make it short as you can and relevant to the topic, inshallah. The question was, can the Sheikh give some issue on the, um, the situation of voting, guidance on voting? And I repeat, and uh, I would like you 
to remember this principle. Do what, um, what, uh, what is good at the time. If voting, according to the, your assessment, your estimation, is good for the Muslims at a particular time, then vote. If it doesn't make any difference, then you will be like just like anyone else. Um, um, uh, if, for example, some uh, brothers in the United States come to the Muslims and say, you must exercise your, your, your right as citizens and go and vote. So, if Muslims, some of them vote to uh, Bush, and uh, some of them vote to Al Gore, some of them vote to someone else, and their votes are, are, are scattered, then what is the use of voting? I'm, I'm not saying don't vote in this case, but I would not say that it will bring about any maslaha, any benefit to the, to, to the Muslims. So vote um, when you think that it makes a difference. And what we are telling uh, Muslims, in fact, this, um, uh, this is what um, non-Muslims are doing. Many people in the United States, and I understand now that it's also in Britain, many people don't vote because they think that one party is just like the other <laughs> and, and their vote will not make um, any difference. So, no. Um, there's a question here from the, on the paper. Many of my brothers refuse to join the British Army because of what it's doing in, for example, Iraq. What is your advice? No, you don't join any army, even if it is Islamic, if it is going to commit aggression. Aggression, as we have just said, is forbidden. This is an absolute Islamic uh, moral principle. So, in, in fact, if, you, if an, an, an Islamic uh, country, say, uh, wages war unjustly on some uh, non-Islamic country, then other Muslim countries should prevent that Islamic country from doing so, even if they have to fight it. Unsur Akhaka, Zaliman Mazluman, the Prophet said, come to the help of your brother, whether um, he is a victim of aggression or whether he commits aggression. And when uh, the Sahaba said, how can we come to his help if he is the aggressor? He said, by preventing him from uh, committing uh, acts of aggression. Is it permissible to be a member of the police force in a non-Islamic country such as a Britain or America? I, I, I think I would have to repeat my answer again and again. <laughs> it depends. It depends. If you think that as a policeman uh, you can do good to the society in which you are living, then uh, why not? Why not? Uh, I mean, generally, generally, I, I, I encourage Muslims to take part uh, in any, and to involve themselves in any uh, institution which helps them to better the society in which they are living. 
I can tell you uh, why I have been more convinced of this. I will not mention the name of the country. But I, I, I visited some years ago a country <clears throat> in which the numbers of Muslims were about half the population. Uh, but when uh, they told me that only uh, from 200 uh, university professors, only three were Muslims. And uh, the same ratio was uh, in the students also. I asked about the government. They told me that there was only one minister, and he was a Gadiani. Gadiani. So I thought that this was because of the British, because they ruled that country. They told me no. This was the advice of our ulama. They told us not to join these uh, uh, kafir uh, schools or universities or so and so on. Then I said, but your ulama did not give you the full advice. They should have told you to migrate, <laughs> go to another country, <laughs> uh, or they should have given you an alternative. But what is happening now is that you yani, willfully <laughs> agreed to live under a government which is not Islamic. And, 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 and I saw some things which made me very, yeah, very sad. We were, uh, we were visitors and were put in, uh, in uh, a visitor's uh, house, which was uh, in a middle-class area and so on. Most of the people in, those, in, in, that, uh, in that part of the city were non-Muslims. And the security men were Muslims who learned the Qur'an by heart. You find the Muslim with his big stick at the door reciting the Qur'an or praying and the, Muslim, and, and the people inside drinking wine and dancing and so on. Is that, is that what you want the Muslims to be? No. So either you migrate or you have your own alternative, or you use the institutions that are available in the country where you are. Uh, I think this question is seeking further clarification on a couple of these issues. You said if voting is permissible, is this not supporting the laws other than Allah's laws? And how can we be pleased if we're also protecting and upholding uh, Kufar laws? Okay, I repeat. Are you, uh, are you a British Muslim? No. You should ask yourself, why do you voluntarily live under kafir law? If you think that this is haram, migrate. But don't tell me uh, that it's okay for you to live under this kind of law, but not to try to change it or make it better. And, and I find that there's a contradiction in this. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will not forgive you. He will not, he doesn't like you to live passively uh, uh, where you can do uh, something. And, and to say, no, I don't want to get involved uh, in making these laws 
but I don't mind obeying them. <laughs> what kind of um, argument is that? A Muslim is a rational person. Don't yani, behave or say something uh, which makes you look foolish or irrational. Now. Uh, there's a question here seeking clarification. What about swearing on uh, oaths when getting citizenship, like British citizenship? It depends on the oath. And perhaps uh, there are some people in the United States now are making a kind of movement to make some change in the wordings of the, of the vote. And, uh, I know the American one. As it stands, I don't think that uh, a Muslim can make that kind of vote. Some uh, Muslims tell me um, that they don't actually uh, make the oath. I mean, I, I was talking about oath, not vote. Uh, the, because they make it in a, uh, a big uh, uh, meeting like this, and they said, uh, no, we don't repeat the words. While they were, he told me that while they were making, I mean, uh, rep uh, reciting those words, I was reading, قُلْ هُوَ اللَّهُ أَحَدَ اللَّهُ I told him that will not save you. Because according to the Islamic Sharia, the oath is according to the intention of the person uh, who makes you make the oath. It is not according to your own intention. Otherwise, everyone can say this. I ask you to say, Wallahi al-Azim, so and so and so on. You say it, but you say, in fact, I didn't mean <laughs> what I said. So that, that is not... Uh, because everyone, even if... Uh, that is your intention. This is not what other people would understand, especially non-Muslims. They will say that okay, all Muslims now are taking this oath. So, no. um, there's a, a question here seeking advice. Okay, if you if the the fighting is not permissible here in this country where we're minority, what about fighting abroad? Fighting abroad, of course, the in principle. Uh, of course, Islam, I'm not saying that Islam is a pacifist religion. Yeah. There is war, and uh, the, the, the Quran is full of verses uh, which encourage Muslims to make jihad and to wage war. We are not saying that uh, Islam is a pacifist religion, no. But uh, war, whether, uh, whether you wage war on a particular occasion or not, depends on the consequences of the war. It is not just an irrational adventure. You don't say to yourself, someone told me, uh, I, 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 I make jihad and I don't care for the consequences. I said, no, you do care. When it comes to your personal life, you do care. It was very cold in the United States and he was wearing uh, overcoat. And I said, you do care. Why are you wearing this? Why don't you wear light clothes and say, I don't care about, uh, about the consequences? So if you care about consequences, 
for in your personal life, you should care about consequences for the Muslim community. And it is part, as I, as, as I have said, it is part of the teachings of your religion that you give good attention to the consequences of actions. Some people used to come to the ulama, Imam, like Imam Ahmad ibn Hanbal or, 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 or Ibn Taymiyyah or so, and ask them about doing certain things which are apparently very good things. And they would tell them, don't do it. Why? Because the consequences would be so and so and so and so. Um, I think this question seeking clarification about living here peacefully. Um, do we have to love the Christians and the uh, idol worshippers? No one, no one will ask you about what is in your heart. But just treat them nicely. <laughs> of course you don't love uh, someone uh, because he is an he's a mushrik or because he is Christian, uh, you might love them for other reasons. Uh, if your wife is Christian, then you might love her. So, yeah. But you don't love her because she is Christian. You love her might be for her looks or for um, her conduct or something, not, but not for, not for her being a Christian, no. Um, with respect to oaths, then, if, if they're dependent upon the intention, so when is lying permissible for a Muslim? No, no, I didn't say that they depend on the intention. I said that they depend on the intention of the person who is asking you to take the vote, uh, the, the oath, not on your intention. No. Where? So, so when is lying permissible for a Muslim? For example, is the oath made in court when placing one's hand over the Bible valid? or even allowed? No, it is not. Not even on the Qur'an. This is the bid'ah. You just stand up and say, Wallahi al-Azim, so you don't put your hand on the Qur'an or let alone the Bible. Or... No, you don't. No, but no, you are not allowed to uh, tell lies except in situations like the ones that we hear. But you don't uh, tell lies uh, just uh, uh, to gain something. Otherwise, uh, everyone on earth would be truthful because everyone can tell the truth when it doesn't harm him or it doesn't make a difference to him. And even the greatest liar tells more truth than, uh, than lies. Yeah? If you ask a, a big liar, what is this? He will not say a gun. A gun. Yeah? He would say it's a watch. Yeah? Uh, so people tell lies because they want to benefit by telling lies. So um, you don't tell lies just because uh, you are going to gain something. And this is, uh, this, is, uh, <clears throat> this is the test of a person being truthful or not. Because when you are truthful and honest and so on, you might lose um, uh, many or worldly things. But uh, you depend on Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, you do what is good for the sake of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, and you expect Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to reward you. 
you can uh, tell lies, as I said in uh, that example, or um, if someone says, either you say Muhammad is not a prophet or I'll kill you. You say he's not a prophet. So long as in your heart you believe that he is a prophet, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will not punish you. إِلَّا مَنْ أُكْرِهَا وَقَلْبُهُ مُطْمَئِنٌ بِالْإِيمَانِ Except the man who is, uh, well, what is أُكْرِهَا? Forced, uh, what is it? Uh, forced uh, to, 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 to declare unbelief. He can't do that. Even if he uh, is threatened uh, to say something against the Prophet he can say it. Even against Allah or the Quran, he can say it to save, to save his life. Now, but you don't tell a lie to get a job or <laughs> to increase your salary. Or, you know. I think this question is a sort of technical uh, clarification or confusion. If the oath is forbidden, then how can we actually be a British citizen without taking the oath? That's your problem, I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) Ask some ulama who have more experience in this. I don't know. I can't answer your question. It depends on the oath. What is the oath? Can you tell me? Someone tell me. What is the oath? What does the oath say? You know? You know? No, I don't know. You are fortunate because you are born. That's right. So, no. <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> can someone tell me what the oath is? No. No. Did you respect what? Respect the queen. Not culture, no. no. British law. Okay. okay. No. I don't know. Um, this is another question about lying. Most of the people, the, so the questioner claims who are getting social security say they are not married while they actually are. Is it okay to lie to the kuffar? No, it is not. It is not. If your, your primary duty is to invite people to Islam, then you will send them away from your deen if they know that you are a liar. Someone once told me here in Britain, and I also thought that uh, that was a foolish question. He asked me whether Muslims can steal. <laughs> and this was in, in a mosque. I said, yeah, yeah. Suppose that this was the case. Do you expect me to tell you in this mosque that you can go and steal? <laughs> yes, sir. But um, um, uh, fortunately, I know and I believe that you cannot steal. Huh? You cannot tell, um, uh, I told them that you cannot tell a non-Muslim about La ilaha illallah, Muhammad Rasulullah, um, uh, <laughs> and pick his pocket. <laughs> And, and, and when he goes home, he doesn't find his wallet. <laughs> what kind of um, dawah is this? 
and that is why the Prophet ﷺ was known to be very honest. When you, you remember the case of uh, Abu Sufyan, when uh, the Hiraqal asked him about, uh, about, um, uh, about him, and he said uh, he's very honest, he, doesn't, uh, he honors his agreements and so on. Uh, that, is, that is one of the most important ways of inviting people to Islam. And that is why uh, it was the motto of the prophets, وَمَا أُرِيدُ أَنْ أُخَالِفَكُمْ إِلَى مَا أَنْهَاكُمْ إِنْ أُرِيدُ إِلَّا الْإِصْلَاحَ مَا اسْتَطَعْتُ I don't want, I will not go and do behind you something which I tell you not to do. We don't do this. Because if, you, if the prophets did this, then no one would have accepted the, 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 their da'wah, their message. And, and, and of course, he was addressing non-Muslims. I don't want to do behind you what I tell you not to do. So the same applies to you. Don't tell the kuffar it is forbidden in Islam to steal, and, and you go and steal from them. Don't tell them that um, truthfulness is something yeah, very valuable in Islam, and you go and tell lies. You don't do this. You have to make some sacrifices for the sake of your deen, for the love of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, and, in, and, 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 and because you expect him, inshallah, uh, to give you a better reward in the hereafter. Um, we have some more papers about the oath. One is actually giving us uh, an explanation, which is the oath is to give allegiance to Her Majesty the Queen mm. and that you will abide by the laws of this country. Okay, still ask someone else. <laughs> um, there's a question seeking guidance then on living here about uh, can uh, Muslims marry non-Muslims and what, under what conditions? Uh, the, the general rule is that you can marry Christians or Jews, but not every non-Muslim. But from my own experience, I used to tell uh, Muslims, just secretly when they come and ask me, I tell them not to marry them while you are living in the, their country. You are a, a minority. That is their country, and they are in a majority. If you want to take them to your country, uh, then it's okay. And then I found, fortunately, that some of the earlier ulama said the same thing. And also the reason is clear, that uh, if you are living with her in her country, uh, what would happen to your children? And uh, if there is a problem between you and her, you go to uh, her um, uh, courts. Uh, but if you take her to the Muslim world, your children, inshallah, will be Muslims. And if you speak another language, a different language, they will speak that language. Uh, and she might even be influenced by other Muslims and become a Muslim. Uh, but that is a kind of jihad. I'm not saying uh, that it is haram, or so I can't say it. To marry. Because 
uh, it is clearly stated in the Quran that you can marry uh, non-Muslims. So it might be that it depends on individual cases. Now, now, yes. Muhsina? Muhsana, Muhsana. Because there's a difference as whether whether it meant. No. Can you repeat? Maybe because if she believes, uh, the, the brother said that there are two conditions. The first one I agree with. The second is not a condition. He said that she must believe in the true Christianity. Because if she believed in the true Christianity, uh, and in fact it was not called Christianity, she would be Muslim. No, no, not Christian. She believed that she is a Christian, not a Christian. Ah, if she is not a Okay, okay. No, no, no. Okay. Yes, I agree. I agree. Yes, yes. Because that's why I said that you marry people of the book. Uh, if she lives in a Christian society, but she is atheist, you don't marry her. If she, if she converted to another religion other than Christianity, Judaism, or, or Islam, you don't marry her. No. Um, a clarification then on fighting abroad, that if you end up fighting the British government, they've threatened imprisonment and withdrawal of citizenship. What is your view on this? If you what? If you end up, if you go to abroad and you end up fighting the British government, then they will imprison you or withdraw your citizenship. They don't fight them. <laughs> or if you fight them, don't come back here. Yes, sir. You don't expect them, expect to fight them eh? and be rewarded by them. It's only rational. Uh, this brother said that some of the ulama say um, 